If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to Beautiful Humans, the social change cast, where behavior analysis and social justice collide. Join us as we aim to move the needle on personal and social change by tapping into the beautiful humans inside of all of us. Follow us on Spotify, Apple, or whatever medium you prefer to make sure you never miss an episode. You can find us on Instagram at Beautiful Humans Change and on Facebook at Beautiful Humans, the social change cast. All right, welcome back, beautiful humans. This is Erin. And it's Denisha. Thank you all for joining us again for another episode. We're glad to be here. Um, yes, it's been a while, yeah, huh, Erin? <laughs> yeah, too long. Moving to this two-week thing, I, I said I called you a stranger when we uh, we signed on. It was like, I feel like we've both been so busy. So, yeah, life has definitely been happening for the both of us. <laughs> for sure, for sure. So, um as we prepare, you know, um, prepared for this episode this week, um, you know, we're thinking about moving into one of the most celebrated U.S. holidays. Uh, and so we wanted to talk about um, the U.S. holiday that we celebrate of Thanksgiving, uh, provide some insight. Um, and so a lot of you may be wondering why Social Justice and Behavior Analysis Podcast may be talking about that specific holiday, like what's the big deal? And so we will explain that to you, I assure you. Um, But first, as always, you know, we talked about us being busy. You know, we always just check in at the beginning, give you a little insight. So, Denisha, how have you been? What's been up? Uh, I have been good. Work, work, work. You can cue Rihanna here at this moment, but... uh... (laughs) Yeah, life has been good, just really busy and trying to find a footing right now. What about you? You have some changes coming up, some exciting I, things. I do. Life's been life's been busy too. It's getting near the end of as a professor, as the at the end of the semester, everything starts to kind of settle in and um and get slammed. And then I'm also moving to the beautiful state of sunny Florida here very Ooh, soon. So I'm so jealous. <laughs> you know, you say that until it's um like July or August and I, I'm like I'll feel like I'm dying. And yeah. you'll be having like nice, you know, being able to sit outside and you know, in in nice old uh inner harbor or something like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I also say that until hurricane season as well. Oh uh, yes. Oh man. So exactly exactly so yeah lots of uh um lots of stuff happening it's been good though been good lots of positive stuff happening so so yeah so yeah all right yeah so let's uh let's let's jump in so we're going to talk about thanksgiving the holiday commonly known as thanksgiving um so i kind of wanted to do like a little maybe like a little reflection thing with the audience um, if that's okay with you, kind of to yeah. 
pull some thoughts and feelings about what, um, you know, Thanksgiving means to, to everybody. And so, um, so if you're listening to this, I want you to kind of pause for a moment. Um, don't like, if you're driving, like, don't close your eyes, don't do like full mindfulness or anything. But um, think about living in, you know, in America, and, you know, these certain holidays are celebrated um, in your community and your family. And Thanksgiving is typically one of those. And so take a moment to reflect back to your past around this time of year. Um, you know, as as a child, did your family celebrate Thanksgiving? And, you know, what activities did you usually participate in? Was there a big meal? maybe like a, a turkey or stuffing, a uh, pumpkin pie of some sort, or did relatives and extended family, did you all get together from time to time? Uh, maybe there were like local parades or watch a big parade on television. Maybe images of a giant inflatable turkey wearing a pilgrim hat um, come to mind, bring back any memories. Uh, or maybe your family gathered around the TV and watched a big football game or attended a big football game. Um, you know, and, and then think about school and elementary school and middle school and what you were kind of taught in uh, different grades and about the holiday. Uh, did you make like in kindergarten little hand, like cut out hand turkeys with uh, colorful feathers? And, uh, you know, what were the narratives that you were told? How were you, what were you taught that the Thanksgiving story was, um, you know, maybe stories of Native Americans and pilgrims sharing a giant meal together in some sort of celebration? Um, you know, of sharing land and resources, um, you know, just, just think back to what, what that meant and, and how we're taught what Thanksgiving has been. Um, so Denisha, when I, when I said all that stuff, what, what stuff came to mind for you? Um, well, you know, I started to think about my Thanksgivings as a child. And for me, it was always a time for family. We came together, we shared a big meal. Um, as an adult, it equals like an off day. We were talking about school. I remember doing the turkeys with my hand um, and that came to mind. I don't remember there truly being a connection with my family to the holiday. Like for us, it was just about a meal coming together as a family and not really even um, a full awareness of like, well, why? why is this an actual holiday? Just that this isn't holiday. This is a holiday that we participate in and we sit down and we, and we fellowship with one another. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, cause a lot of those same things, I mean, obviously I, I, you know, I wrote that. So a lot of these things, you know, images that came to mind were things that I would, I remembered, but as a young children, I remember, or as a young child, I remember, and I can't remember if it was like family that, that I learned this from or if it was school or where that came from, but um, learning about like English settlers, um, Plymouth Rock, all of that, and learning that whole story. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember the exact details of what I was taught, but it was essentially, you know, um, European settlers came and, um, you know, built colonies and made friends with Native Americans. If I want to boil it down to like the simplest, like I know that this is what I was taught kind of thing and images mm -hmm. of like cartoon Indians with feathers in their hats, like shaking hands. And I remember making like feathered um, thing. I don't even know what you would call them. Head, head, headbands, I guess. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and in school or like the pilgrim hats with construction paper and stuff like that. So I know that those narratives were, were, um, were taught at least where I grew up very, um, 
very much in school specifically too as like a history lesson yeah um, in elementary school definitely so yeah i remember being taught about like the food that they ate and like certain messages about like who provided what food um yeah and so i think as you know getting older and looking or trying to look into the history of Thanksgiving a little bit more, seeing some of the things that um, we're not necessarily taught in a manner that were factual, that was factual. Um, And obviously that was kind of hard to do because there's only one record of, you know, what we know as Thanksgiving to this day. And and that record reflects a, a harvest festival of sorts, not necessarily Thanksgiving dinner, right? Um, And so I think it's good for us as we go into the show tonight to talk about, you know, what we learned and then what part of what we learned might not have been reflective of the truth and being able to distinguish between truth and myth from, um, from the past yeah. yeah, I think that's really important, um, definitely. And you had brought up the term whitewashing of history. Can mm-hmm. you can you explain that a little bit for the listeners? Yeah, so um, this just goes back to like me recalling some of the teachings and just like who was in charge of what. Um, and it was kind of like explained. Um, and I don't know if you can recall this being part of your teaching or not, or if any of our listeners can recall this being part of our teaching. Um But essentially, the English settlers provided food to the Native people and how nice of them for, you know, wanting to sit down with with uh, the Natives and, you know, share a meal and tell them that we're friends. But a lot of what gets left out of the story is that the English settlers brought disease. They actually stole food from the Natives um, and that there was ongoing strife between you know, the English settlers, when they came, they tried to confirm, conform uh, their religion and they wanted to essentially make them Christian um, because the English settlers felt like they had so much off- to offer to these quote unquote people who had no type of, um, no type of, I guess, appropriate culture in what they were viewing for themselves. Like for the English settlers, what, who they were, were right. And they wanted to assimilate those that were already here before they got here. And so that's what I think of when I think about um, whitewashing, just being able to retell that story and leave out some integral parts, especially when it comes down to like why then, um, why they even were together in the first place for Thanksgiving, because, you know, then (laughs) they were afraid. They were afraid the indigenous people felt like Um, the English settlers, because of the things that they had been doing, were going to try to start a war. So they went there to like check it out. And um, essentially what they saw is, oh, they were like celebrating something of some sort. (laughs) And and so they went and they got food for them and brought it. And, you know, they had had some dinner, essentially. Um, And that's what we know as the first Thanksgiving, but it was essentially the harvest celebration. Um, so yeah. Yeah. There are definitely a lot of, um, details that were left out, especially when, 
you know, I think about what I learned back in elementary school or what I was taught as a very young child, as far as um, disease. And uh, I mean, we learned a, a, about settlers and coming and building colonies, but I, I definitely think there was a lot left out in terms of war <laughs> um, or just the struggle between the two. Um, if anything, that, that came a little bit later, uh, maybe in like U.S. history and high school or something like that. But even then, too, I think that it was um, a lot was was left out from everything that I've been reading in preparation um, for this episode. And then prior to that, about just learning um, about experiences of, of those of different identities. And so mm -hmm. this being one of those um, is that when indigenous people think of Thanksgiving, they might be thinking of something drastically different mm -hmm. than all of those things that we kind of just recalled when we think about Thanksgiving, right? And so, um, you know, thinking about like the disease and uh, and essentially, you know, genocide and um, settler col um, colonialism and, um, you know, systematic extermination, um, that was a, a term that you had, had put in the show notes. And I was, I thought that that was really powerful because it does, it brings to light, like the, the true gravity of the situation. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, I think the story about what we know or not what we know, but the, the actual story of when English settlers got here, that speaks to just colonization, basic cut dry colonization. It was genocide because so many people died from those diseases. And when we start to even think about um, the fact that they wanted to kind of come over here and um, make the natives into new people, essentially they wanted them to assimilate to their culture. Um, even if people survive that, that's still a form of genocide and the genocide comes in the form of their culture dying too. And so, um, so yeah, yeah. that distinction, that's, mm -hmm. I think that's really important. Definitely. And so thinking about these holidays, I know you said it earlier, you were like, you know, if, what, if we're talking about social justice, like, where does this, and those weren't your words, but like, where does this holiday come in at? And uh, social justice for sure comes into this holiday in a, many different ways. And I think the first part of that is just being truthful about the history. And that's a part, that's, that's a way to be socially just toward, to this whole group of people um, in which we can just acknowledge and recognize uh, the history that's there. And then also, this isn't the only holiday too that social justice will come into play, right? Because Halloween is one, and then definitely uh, Christopher Columbus Day. Um, Definitely. Which is hopefully over the years will continue to be changed to Indigenous Peoples Day. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, just being able to be honest, I guess, and uh, mindfully aware of what this holiday means to not just us, because like I said, I have a personal connection to Thanksgiving. Oh, just it's a good time to get together with family, but to those that this holiday may actually impact and, and they're telling different stories about what right. this day means to them, right? Yes, yes. And and I think that that's, um, that's really important. Is And I was reading an article right before, literally right before we got on here to record this, and it was something I'd gotten to email, to my emails, uh, teaching Thanksgiving in a socially responsible way. And so it was talking about um, certain activities that we might 
do as families or um, in schools or with kids just as like fun, um, you know, where we're having people like I remember dressing up as a, a Native American and saying I'm dressing up as an Indian. I remember doing that, you know, mm-hmm. and, and and that being taught of like, this is what you do. And and now I think back to what that was like. And that was so insensitive, you know. Uh, and so that kind of imagery um, can be very damaging to contemporary, um, you know, Native peoples. And, and uh, you know, just kind of thinking about how we don't think that that's necessarily harmful um, because that's not our perspective. That's not our experience. That's not necessarily like our identity. And so we don't realize the impact that that has. Right. Right. Hmm. And I think about how useful that might be to even like deconstruct some of that. Right. Like why are these why is this the images that we have of Native Americans or the, the first people um, that lived here? I'm trying to remember what, I think that it comes, trying to think of what the village means. I believe it translates to people of the first light. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, but to think about what those images even mean, like, and why is this what we viewed Indian um, folks as anyway? And that might be even good. You said, you know, teaching Thanksgiving in a socially responsible way to even have just those conversations um, and break some of those down. Yeah. Um, this this website, I know you've sent it to me before. It's teaching tolerance. And I know um, mm-hmm. the, the word tolerance is a little like, there might be a better way to kind of describe that. But what they do is they, they provide a ton of um, great age, I don't say age appropriate, but they'll, they'll do by grades um, and give resources for how to teach that activities, lesson plans and things like that. And so that's what came through here was, um, you know, how can you teach these things and kind of rewrite the narrative that's being taught in school systems or to, to younger generations now to teach them to be more, um, socially responsible in, in the language that they use or, or how they mm-hmm. represent, um, you know, American history and their understanding just in general. Yeah. I do like that website a lot. Um, it's very useful. So if you are listening, uh, teaching tolerance is definitely a good guide. Um, they've been around for quite a long time. So they've done a lot of work, even on the topic that we're talking about today. Um, and what we were just talking about with you know, the, the, the clothing and things like that, that they are able to kind of break that down a little bit and talk about, um, you know, just the stereotypical way of viewing Native Americans, Pocahontas, things like that, um, that are, could be historically, are, are historically false um, or just stereotypical slash ignorance. Yes, definitely. And when we get it, because we're going to talk about perspective taking here in a second, and there's actually a great resource in this article. I wonder if I can link to this actual article or if it's because I have an account with them. I don't know. But it gives its letters um, from like a historical perspective, letters from individuals that like that would have been in those tribes or a pilgrim girl or something like that. But to give an actual perspective of what that might have looked like rather than... Um, 
somebody now kind of giving a reflective <laughs> perspective back onto it, you know? So, um, but for, for a kid to hear that would be really, yeah. I think interesting. Awesome. Yeah, so, yeah. So let's, I mean, cause that's, I think the thing that we really wanted to focus on is, is getting some factual information about, um, you know, the history of Thanksgiving, but then also to talk about perspective taking, because that's, um, that's something that's very, very relevant when we talk about changing our, our way that we're thinking about something that's not like, it's not harmful for us to, you know, to watch a parade and to, to, um, you know, to, to have a big meal and to maybe even have like this, um, this understanding of, of history that's not necessarily correct. It's not harmful to us, but it's harmful to other people. And when we promote that, that's, that's the issue. Um, so perspective taking, like I said, is something that's very relevant. Um, and according to, so on here, we talk a lot about, um, RFT, you'll hear us talk about that. So, um, that stands for relational frame theory. That's a, a theory for how we develop, um, like human, human language and cognition, just the very kind of brief <laughs> it's um but they talk about these different frames that we create and um that that we can think in terms of um perspective frames so thinking like denisha like i versus you mm -hmm. um, like my perspective versus your perspective or we can have a here and there perspective or we can have a now and then perspective and so there's three different ways that uh, different types of perspective that we can look at um, and there's been a lot of research that's been done that has looked at the benefits of perspective training or perspective taking training, it's a mouthful, um, to change someone's um, behavior. And um, the article that we're going to talk about tonight uh, talks about fundamental attribution errors, which we had talked about in a previous episode, um, mentalism. So it'll kind of be a... Um, tie that in a little bit there too have you ever did you ever have you ever read this article or um read a lot on perspective perspective taking um yeah so with rft perspective taking comes up and i think in for this particular article it'll be interesting to the listeners to hear just exactly how um it can either it can change our behaviors based on whatever uh internal thoughts that we had previously um, but RFT, I think, is definitely a strong tool to to allow us to be able to do that because, you know, like you said, it's a behavioral model of thinking and cognition, right? And or, so language and cognition. And yeah, let's get into it because I, I, I really do want us to be able to take away how we can use what the article talked about to change some of the things that we do. Yeah, for sure. Um so just to review, the fundamental attribution error is essentially something that uh, we do where we tend to apply cause to somebody's behavior. We say that somebody's doing something because of some internal uh, state of mind or some um, internal feeling or something like that. So Denise always uses the example of road rage. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, somebody being angry and somebody being a jerk or something like that. And that's why they are driving erratically down the road, right? Not that they're yeah. 
uh, spouse just had a baby or that they're running from the cops or that they're, um, I don't know. There could be a multitude of reasons as to why somebody is engaging in that behavior. History of reinforcement for that, you know, type of driving. Um, but the error that we're making is overlooking environment and context when we're talking mm-hmm. about somebody's behavior. Um, and so this specific article done by uh, Hooper and colleagues in 2015, it looks at the effects of perspective taking training on fundamental attribution errors. So um, either like how often those, those errors occur. And they looked at it in the context of somebody reading an, an essay that was for capital punishment and against capital punishment. And so those, that's, that's a, you know, that's a a topic that, um, that really pulls out some big emotions in people. Um, yeah. Leaves, but you know, they attach there, we attach that, um, to, or we can to a lot of things, uh, in, in our lives. Um, and so they, they pick something, I, I would imagine that, that has some kind of, um, polarized viewpoint that people typically have. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so in this, what they did is uh, they assigned, there are four different categories of people. So there were people that were exposed to the for capital punishment perspective, and there were people that were exposed to the against capital punishment perspective. And then within those two, there was a, a group that got the um, perspective taking training and a group that didn't. So there were four different groups, um, each that were exposed to the four against, and then one that had perspective taking training and one that didn't. And just overall in general, and they gave the training that they gave were, was very basic. It wasn't attached to any sort of like political or um, social justice or any sort of like um, emotionally driven uh examples or or content or anything if anything it was uh, these basic questions based on the three perspectives that i had talked about so i versus you here versus now and um or here versus there and now versus then they gave very unbiased questions and so there were 30 questions that they had to answer um and so like an example would be like all right denisha yesterday i was watching television today i'm reading a book what am i doing Mm -hmm. now and so oh, they would have to, right, exactly. Mm-hmm. So I'm reading a book. So you're being able to take the perspective of what somebody else is doing. Um, and then they, they got a little bit more complicated just moving through, but they weren't attached to that topic whatsoever. And so what they found were that um, when people listened to these perspectives on capital punishment, if they had the perspective taking training, they were far less likely to make errors like fundamental attribution errors um, when they had to rate how they felt about that person's perspective, essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we'll link to the article so you all can read it. It's, it's, it's hard to, sometimes it's hard to, to describe all of this straightforward. Um, but essentially the, the gist of this is that, um, by teaching people, even outside of these really emotionally driven contexts, of how to take somebody else's perspective um, and just how to think in that way, that that can then help reduce um, our judgments and our, our assessment of somebody's behavior 
or thoughts or feelings or whatever that may be based on, um, you know, their internal disposition rather than environmental context, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's really cool. Um, just the way that they set up the, um, the study with being able to say like, you know, I'm doing this and, or then what are you doing, right? Because that is the I versus you. And even with like RFT, it tells us, you know, we can perspective taken that way. Cause like when you mention yourself um, that I'm able to then relate that you're talking about you versus like, if you, this probably isn't going to make too much sense coming out actually. But like, if you're talking, if you say like, if you say to me, you, I know that you're talking about me and I'm going to take that, that language and uh, reverse it. So the study actually did that as well. Um, I don't know if I'm, if that was too clear, but essentially with what you were saying earlier, um, Aaron, with like, if I read a book yesterday and you went to the store, they like switched it and said like, what were you doing versus I? So, um, okay. Um, the results and talk a little bit more detail about the results, what itself. I think overall what the, what they, in terms of like the discussion that they provided is that being able to to take RFT and perspective taking, but being able to teach people that A, you can train how to take somebody's perspective, which I think is really important because often mm -hmm. we think of that, at least in the conversations that I've had with people, it's more of just like this innate ability that people think that you have, but actually it's a skill. It's, it's behaviors that we can teach and reinforce. Um, and so that, that that has the ability to then improve just overall, just social interaction, being able to take somebody's perspective. I mean, think about whether it's you in the, in the car or um, me with, um, I, I don't know, somebody, uh, what was the thing that was frustrating me the other day? Somebody walking across the street and it was like, they didn't cross the street perpendicular, but they kind of went parallel and there were all these cars backed up. And it was like, you know, instead of me kind of taking their perspective and saying, Hmm, I wonder what could be going on, you know, with them hmm. instead of just sitting kind of idly by and just getting frustrated, I can, I can work on some of that perspective taking, um, even if I don't know. Right. Mm -hmm. I want to read something from the article um, from the discussion. Okay. And it's just a direct quote from the discussion uh, part. But essentially, it said, um, let me start from the beginning. The current experiment indicated that a pre experimental perspective taking exercise reduced the fundamental attribution error. The current findings have implications both at a, pra at a practical and theoretical level. At a practical level, the results suggest that brief perspective taking interventions could have used in improving everyday social interactions in which the FAE is committed. And obviously being able to generalize this study over to other things. And when we talked about FAE in the beginning and how many, when you were, you were just tacting in one way that you could use it too. Um, so that, yeah, it says that indeed such exercises would be easily disseminable and could be accomplished in many different contexts. This is the part I wanted to read. At a theoretical level, the current study demonstrated the effectiveness of exposing participants to an RFT-based perspective-taking protocol. 
According to RFT, the core of language is being able to put things into abstract relations that do not depend on the characteristics of things being related, but instead depend on cues that signal which frame is appropriate. Um, and so that's relational frame. And so it kind of, that's how we organize. <laughs> we organize language and we organize things in our head in that way. And so with this study it said that there's an increasing evidence for these frames um, as we learn to respond to perspective relations, I, you, here, there, now, then, we can gradually learn to abstract a sense of perspective. So whenever we're asked to think about our own behavior, we learn to answer from the point of I, here and now, and we learn that this perspective is consistent and different from that of other people. That's kind of what I was trying to say earlier, but mm -hmm. not as succinct. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so... Um, yeah, so I really do. I love RFT as being like a behavioral model to understand our language and the, you know, thinking and how we categorize things in our head and how that also then can move forward to um, not dictate, but it can um, impact our behavior. So I thought that was an important paragraph. Yes, without a doubt. Um, and two, thinking about how like back to some of the examples so like dressing up as a native american when i was younger um you know to be in a school play or something like that thinking about teaching perspective taking to kids and think teaching that there are different perspectives on things but that somebody's experience like the way that we represent can be harmful and i think that that's where like those social implications really um, really start to, to, to speak to the validity of some of this work mm -hmm. is that, um, people's well-being, um, you know, as, as a, a culture, as a, um, you know, that has just been hurt <laughs> by, um, you know, American history, uh, you know, it, it can be really powerful, I think. And, um, thinking about too some of the homework that we're going to give people or how to have conversations with people about this stuff. Um, you know, perspective taking is going to be critical in a variety of senses, you know, mm -hmm. not just for ourselves, but hoping that other people can then learn the importance of that as well. Definitely. And I, I feel like, you know, every time I hear the term perspective take, um, even just being in this like world of social justice or always, you know, wanting, not always, but a lot of times trying to make sure um, that I can take the perspective of those from marginalized groups. On the opposite side of there, there's me needing to take perspective with other people who might be, you know, intentionally not wanting <laughs> to perspective take. And I've said it on the show before, that's the hard part for me, but I know that 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 is there. And so we'll talk a little bit today about like, you know, what to do during Thanksgiving when you have these conversations with people. And, um, you know, I can tell you better than I can truly show you, depending on the type of person that we're sitting across. I should say not the type of person, but the type of presentation that's being provided from the other person. Um, but yeah, perspective taking goes both ways, so many different ways. So Yes, definitely. And we'll talk about how that can be, you know, challenged, like you're saying, when you're willing to take perspective, but the person you're talking to is not. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, we can address that a little further in the, in that section. Yeah. Homework. Okay. Down the road. 
Uh, did we want to talk about like the the connection, or was there anything else on perspective taking we want to talk, or did we want to go ahead and transition to to uh, like this relevant issue in the um, that's like current? I think you know. I think we laid a good foundation for how perspective taken might be important, and we can definitely get back to it a little okay. bit later in the show. But um, yeah, let's get into it. Like, why is Thanksgiving? I mean, we we've already talked about like why Thanksgiving is important um, in the social justice realm, but specifically what's happening right now in America that makes um, this even more important for us to continue to, to talk about. Because we're talking about indigenous folks, we're talking about Native Americans um, who are still here, you know, contrary to, you know, we don't, I, I feel like a lot of times uh, Native voices are left out of so many conversations and we don't recognize that there are still like clear, nearly 600 federally recognized um, tribes that are still here, right? Um, and there are people that are still fighting to make sure that their people are not being specific or that they're not being put in another situation to have genocide um, of their people, extermination, systemic extermination of their folks. And so um, I think that it's important for us to talk today about Standing Rock um, mm -hmm. and what's been happening with the Dakota Access Pipeline. Erin, um, do you want to go ahead and give a little bit of background about the Dakota Access Pipeline? Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think, I would hope that most people, like that title sounds familiar, right? Mm -hmm. And and, um, and I think that it's a, a popular belief that that is an, like no longer an issue. Um, but it's, it's definitely like, I don't, it's not in the news like it was, you know? Um, so it's interesting. I, I went on the Dakota access pipeline, uh, website mm -hmm. <laughs> and I pulled off some of what they were saying. Um, but just so you know, the, the Dakota access pipeline, um, it's, you know, a thousand plus mile underground pipeline that is essentially transporting, um, oil, um, from what is it? North Dakota to Illinois. Mm-hmm. And they're, um, they're actually trying to do an expansion to Canada. Okay. Yeah, to okay. add like a thousand more miles or something like that. Okay. Um, I need to check what? that. So don't take that as fully facts. I'm just <laughs> recalling that. Um, but I don't have that in front of me right now. We can fact check that. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the website says this has safely been operating since June of 2017. Mm -hmm. And. Um, whether however you want to define safe, um, you know, that's, that's up for debate, but essentially that, you know, that, that they are, um, running oil, which has the potential to spill and, um, and correct me if I'm wrong. It doesn't, did it go through the Sioux tribes land or was it near it where it was going to impact the water supply? Yeah. So, um, that was that is what they have been protesting it's it's near enough to where they fear that it's going to impact like their drinking water and their um living conditions and yeah and just going to perspective taking what's coming to mind for me is 
I can only imagine if if you have been through this in the past that you definitely would be extremely uh, cautious um, and, and knowing that you that's your living source like you know you need that water to survive and to know that there could be a possibility of um your tribe your people um having and not being able to have access to clean water um right mm-hmm. yeah and and i think there's you know they're saying this is safe and and all the precautions are being taken and that's great um but if you think about learning history just from um, you know, Native Americans from the moment, you know, European settlers stepped foot, um, you know, to, to now it's, um, I, I wouldn't think that, that our government has the, like their tribe in the best interest, you know, it's not putting their safety. Um, and I'm, I I would imagine based on a, a, a learning history that that could potentially be, you know, something that, that, that they're thinking about too, is, um, it's the potential for harm. And, um, and it's the constant, uh, whether it's fear or just uncertainty of what could happen and then what, like, how, how is that going to be taken care of if it does, you know, you, you, I don't know, an oil spill spill that affects drinking water. I'm not sure that's, (laughs) um, I mean, there are other areas where, where that's been affected too. And it's still what Flint, Michigan, and that's, you know, continued issue, you know? Um, that's mm-hmm. not something that that is, um, you know, can be cleaned up relatively easy and replaced. So, um, but yeah, I, I think as a as a country, we've kind of forgotten that this has been this is an issue and continues to be an issue. And that, um, you know, the I don't know what, what do you have to say on this? I mean, for me, so um, you know. I, I recall two, two Thanksgivings ago, um, the online activism and on the ground activism that occurred with Standing Rock, you know, people going there and showing solidarity. And, and I remember, you know, posting in solidarity with the folks there. And to know that the major concern was oil spills, like what, what happens when there's a spill into our water, into our drinking water? And since then, there have been oil spills. Like there was just one um, on October 29th, and it was a huge spill, like um, like million, like a million um, liters of crude oil. And so you have a big company saying, you know, we are the safest. This is the safest way to transport. And and then you have people that are saying. How do you spill 1.2 million liters of crude oil and tell me that you know this is this this is safe? And what happens the next time that it's even more than that? Um, and so now you have oily water and crude oil that spill because uh, what they said or reported back out was that you know they had like there was an estimate of like. Um, 500,000 liters of oily water that are, that's still present. So um, even though they can turn around and say it's not affected their drinking water, just to know like these spills are happening and this is why they were fighting in the first place. And and let me uh, change my language. This is why they are still fighting. This is not over. Um, You know, in 2020, folks are going back to 
um, try to hash out this legal battle and the court is going to rule on um, the motion that has been presented to stop the pipeline operations. Um, and, and I think is that, yeah, we, we should continue to pay attention to that and listen to what people are telling us. Cause this is something that definitely doesn't affect me. I don't live in North Dakota. Right. Um, that's not drinking water that I would drink off personally, but just because it doesn't have anything to do with me does not mean that, um, we shouldn't take this as an important topic and, and hear the people that are saying, look, we're really concerned about this because even on the show, we talked about the Amazon and I'm thinking about the stuff that has happened and it's still happening over there. And this is, you know, what happens when we put resources before people, mm-hmm. people die, people, right. people die and um, their lives are drastically changed. And I can't, compel enough uh, that we should at least be listening and then doing what people are asking us to do. Um, And with Standing Rock, just knowing that this is not over, um, the conversations that are being had um, on a larger scale about the Dakota Access uh, Pipeline, it's not going to stop. We'll definitely hear more of it into 2020 because, as you know, 2020 is an, uh, an election year and the candidates are going to be forced to speak to what they plan to do about that. But yeah. Yeah. And I think the, the big question for me is, you know, we have data to support whether it's permanent product that, that these things are happening, that this is not safe. It may be the safest way to transport it, but that doesn't mean it's safe for everyone. Exactly. Um, so why do, you know, why do we continue? And maybe this is just rhetorical questions, but you know, why, why do we continue to overlook this evidence? Like um, I think it's important to look at like who's benefiting versus who's mm-hmm. harmed and the power that those people have over, you know, control of resources, control, <laughs> um, control of a lot of stuff. And, um, and it's just, again, it's just something to think about. Yeah, I I think with um, a lot of topics of social justice, for me, it, it's it's helpful to bring that down and, and you know talk about what's the function here, but to to dial that back and think about like who stands to benefit and in what way, and who stands to lose or you know reduce like lose access or reduce access or whatever. Like think about those things, but especially think about who stands to gain and what. Um, and I feel like. With that, it dials us back to like being able to see what the issue is and also how to actually intervene with some of these issues. And unfortunately, a lot of issues come down to monetary gain, not all of them for sure. Um, but there's with this whole thing, there's definitely some monetary gain that's happening. Yes, for sure. Yeah. And even if you think of like Thanksgiving, the holiday as a whole, it's like, you know, it's... Um a lot of money is made from that. Um, and not, I, I wouldn't even say, you know, just food alone that people are purchasing, but it's, um, you think about like the Macy's day parade, um, yeah. all goes into that, uh, all the football games and the, the, I would imagine, um, ad ratings, your ad prices for those spots are like skyrocketed. And so you think about again, monetary gain from buying into the holiday that, that we've been taught and what it is. And if we start to kind of change the narrative, does that, does all that start to change? Do all those people, would they still benefit in the same way? I don't, 
I don't know. I mean, mm -hmm. to, to think about that and to talk about if people started to learn the actual history uh, and to speak kind of truthful and factually about that, would that change the way that Thanksgiving is perceived or how it's celebrated? I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And definitely like, so just as you're saying that, would it change the way that we celebrate Thanksgiving? I think it could. I think that if we were being truthful and um, more aware of the history of Thanksgiving, then one, if we decided that we wanted to continue to celebrate the holiday, that we would celebrate it in a way that is reflective of the way Indigenous people, Native Americans celebrate their own things, like, you know, being put in a, in a like gratitude, like a, a, a high sense of gratitude for like your ancestors, like that's important to indigenous folks. And like, we would celebrate it in that way. Will we eat the same types of food that they actually ate back in that day? Like, you know, would it be venison, right? And <laughs> venison and um, turkey was there and like, Corn, because I remember that was like what was being stolen from them. But like, will we eat the same foods to pay homage to? So I think that there could be ways that our um, holiday looks different or even just an ongoing history lesson of what this actually looks like. Like, if, even if we're not celebrating it um, differently, but just like you know, I said earlier, like for my family, we just come together, we have a good meal, but I'm, you know, I think about, well, then what can that look like going forward? And those conversations is what it could look like. The conversations of why we're actually here doing this and, and who can we acknowledge in this space? Um, and who can we thank in this space? Because the ancestors, the indigenous folks who inhabited the land here first, we owe them, you know, we're still on their land. And recognizing that, recognizing that and being grateful that um, we're here. A lot of us are not supposed to be here, but yet we are. And but just, you know, thanking them, I guess, for, for what they've done for this country in general. Um, even though we got here in a very ugly and distorted way, which was obviously genocide, rape, pillage, and all that which is very dark, but it's very truthful. So, yeah. Yeah. I like that. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Let's take it into the like, last segment. <laughs> Whoa, well, you've got me like thinking, I'm like, hmm, what am I going to like, what am I going to change this year? What am I going to, you know, like, um, yeah, but I definitely, well, like, actually that's perfect segue into <laughs> the last segment here is, um, you know, what, what's it do? Like how to, um, what changes to make. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think the first thing to start with is like, you had just said conversations and the ongoing conversation. And I think almost the hardest for some people, the hardest part is starting that conversation. How do you start that? Mm -hmm. right? How would you, like, how would you imagine bringing that up at, <laughs> you know, is that a, yeah. <laughs> Is that a, hey, I want to talk about something at Thanksgiving? Um, right. Curious? Is that, you know, like, what, what does that look like? <laughs> I have an idea, um, and I don't know if other people celebrate in this way, but 
I know it's very customary for a lot of folks, at least a lot of folks that are around me, to go around the table and say what you are thankful for, right? And I kind of feel like if that's your family, that might be a good segue to actually bring in some information of what that day means to not just your family, um, but to Indigenous folks. Um, so yeah, I think that's that could actually, that could be good. Yes, that's perfect. Because <laughs> everybody goes around and they, you know, they I'm thankful for health. I'm thankful for a job. I'm thankful for my kids, family, all that stuff. Um, to almost like flip the switch on people and say, you know, I'm I'm thankful, you know, um, for all those things that you just said too. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, I would imagine saying like I'm I'm grateful that I have the ability to take perspective, um, you know, and 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 learn, and that I my you know curious and to have people to share these conversations with and that can teach me, uh, you know, about their experience, whether they know that they're doing it or not, but they're putting public information out there that I can then take, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, but to just be really creative in what you're grateful for, you know, to, I think that's a perfect way to start that, that conversation. That was awesome. Yeah. So we were, um, we also wanted to do a segment, um, are part of this segment to talk about like how to survive Thanksgiving in a sense. And one is definitely, you know, we want you all to be able to have those tough conversations. But I know for a lot of people, Thanksgiving dinner, it actually is really tough. And we have different uh, family members with varying viewpoints and topics come up that might be hard to get through. Um, so if that's you, um, then hopefully you can hear um, our suggestions in the next few seconds or a few minutes. Um, and if you are not that person, if you're the person that makes it harder for other people at the dinner table, hopefully you can learn something from this show as well. <laughs> Definitely the part about perspective taking. Um, so yeah, let's get into it. Aaron, do you want to, I mean, do we want to start with anecdotes? What's Thanksgiving like for you? I I can start with my family. Like it's a really big thing where we're all together. I feel like over the years it's dwindled down a bit. Um, but we definitely talk about things, um, that are concerning, you know, politics because my family is really big on keeping up with what's going on. So politics comes up at our table all the time. Um, and, you know, at, at some point in time, everyone's not going to agree. And that definitely happens at my dinner tables. And luckily for me, I have a very big mouth. And <laughs> not just for, like eating food, food, right? But for mm-hmm. <laughs> Yes. Um, but yeah, so how's Thanksgiving for you? Does that resonate for you as well? Um, not, you know, not really. Um. Thanksgiving's always looked a little bit different. Let, let's say my adult Thanksgiving, like, you know, mm-hmm. earlier on, it was always kind of, you know, straightforward. Um, but I'm thinking now when I would have a voice to be able to say something. Um, I, It's been different every year, depending on where, um, where I used to go or whose family I was with or whatever that would look like. Um, this is going to be the first year that it's different, like completely different. Um, and it's going to be much smaller and um, with people who are going to love having a conversation about this and to learn and with, you know, and um, and so it's going to be different this year. But I think my challenge is going to be how do I inform the people beyond that? Like, it's easy to stay in my own little bubble sometimes, you know, but it's mm-hmm. like, how do I 
um, like I won't see my parents for Thanksgiving, but I would want to have a conversation, you know, is that going to be possible? I don't know. So how do you like get the information out there if you, if you're not around all your family? Cause that's the very much the case for some people too. Very good point. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's get into it. Let's sure. talk about <laughs> um, what to do when you're sitting at your dinner table and you are, you know, your uncle, your aunt, or whoever makes a statement and it seems to you to be very uninformed. Um, what advice would you give to that person that has a family member who's talking about something and it seems to be a little bit off? It's, it's interesting. I, I would imagine that like every single person listening could have just pulled up like five situations really, really fast of things that have happened or could potentially happen. Um, especially just with like the political climate right now, you know? Um, but I think one thing that we can do is, is come prepared in a sense and have data and use data. Um, I think definitely being thinking about opting out of an argument, but opting into evidence-based conversations. Um, and so if you just let that sink in for a second, it can be really powerful that you don't have to engage in some irrational argument, but you can opt into evidence-based conversations. Yeah. I think it's important for us to, to remember that because you can present evidence without trying to win a war. You're literally just laying a seed here. Um, and you're doing that in a way that is, I guess, not judgmental. Like you're just, this is what it is. Um, this is the facts that I can present. And so you can do that in a very overt way. Um, I, I wanna make sure to also say by presenting, by deciding to present information to an uninformed um, family member, you can do this in a way that is very clear um, but I would suggest not to use or not to try to do it in a way that's passive aggressive or even um, sarcasm, because I think that can go over people's head really easily. Like, hmm, something doesn't sound too right about that. OK, what doesn't sound right about that? So I, I think that we could definitely prepare ourselves um, by just steering them in a truthful and or just a truthful and just direction and that's with the data the I like what you what you said about planting a seed because in my experience um, people who are wanting to engage in these conversations um, with their opinions or something are not having these conversations to have their mind changed mm -hmm. um, and somebody said to me one time I don't remember who it was or where it was but um, it, it essentially was the effect of um, it's it's really hard to have a rational conversation with somebody who didn't get to like to some place like in a rational way. And so like some of these really emotional responses that people will give and, and kind of like um, opinions or that are not in like in grounded in data or evidence or fact um, are 
are going to be, it's really hard to engage in a conversation with them in a rational way. And so when you said plant the seed, you can say what you want to say, but you don't have to engage in that conversation that is irrational opinions and things like that. And I say irrational just because it's not based on data. It's not, right. um, you know, and it's, it, it's just, it's not logical in a sense. And um, I think but, we all know what that moment feels like, like when you're talking to somebody and you're like, are you kidding me right now? Look, we have this. We talked about this on this show. But like the are you kidding me right now? And right. when you get to that point where it just doesn't make any sense in your head because you're like, oh my gosh, that is like either stereotypically ridiculous or just makes no sense. That is probably a good moment for you to be like, remember, I'd already said what I need to say. Like, say no more. You, you don't have to put anything else into this uh, into this conversation because you you've now crossed a new line mm-hmm. when you get to that point and you're like, this doesn't even make any sense. And so now you're, now you're, you've gone into fighting territory because now you want to stick by what is right and what is just, you want to be even more bold in your stance. And I get it. This is Thanksgiving. You're not winning the war, but plant your seeds. Definitely do that. And, and, and I hope that, you know, you feel comfortable as an ally, accomplice, to actually speak up in a just way, in a, in a truth and factual way. Yeah. And I think there's something to be said with that too, because a lot of people will opt out completely. Um, right. But sometimes that silence is communicating indifference and that's even worse than not having an opinion. So, um, so definitely like the planting the seed thing, that's, that's going to stick with me even outside of Thanksgiving, you know? Yeah. Definitely. I think that's so important to say, too, because, um, you know, not saying anything is saying something like very loud for sure. And very loudly. Um, you have a person that's spewing something very hateful to you and you're just sitting there in your head and you're saying, wow, that's ridiculous. But to them, you just look at like a listening ear, you know, and they're like, well, shoot, it's, it's confirmation. It's a non um, verbal confirmation. It's like, well, they didn't, they didn't correct me. Must be right. Let's keep going. I'm gonna tell someone else the same stupid joke later or whatever. So. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, so along the lines of like, just uninformed family members are the ones that, you know, we were kind of talking about is like bound by their, their faculties. Um, you know, just very, very maybe rigid um, or kind of uh, fused with certain rules or thoughts or something like that. Um, And sometimes we can ask them to say more, to explain themselves, right? Uh, In the hopes that they'll kind of get a better understanding or we'll get a better understanding. Again, perspective taking, like, tell me more, like explain this to me as, as ludicrous as this sounds, where did you get this information from? Where, like, how did you come to this conclusion or something like that? maybe we'll gain some understanding of their perspective <laughs> or like you said, they'll hear themselves out loud and be like, Oh wow, that really doesn't make sense. Right. I would mm-hmm. love for that to happen one time. I don't know if it ever would. And somebody would be like, <laughs> wow, I just, I just heard what that's, that sounded like. And that sounds ridiculous. Like, I can't believe I just said yeah. that. I don't know if anybody would ever admit that in the moment, but. But maybe there's some um, private events happening. Like, Oh wait, that actually didn't make too much sense. And I think in a way, like, let's say, you know, we talked about the um, 
Dakota Access Pipeline, um, let's say that came up, for example, and someone's like, oh, you know, these people are being ridiculous and they think that it's such an issue and um, that their water is going to be affected. I'm like, yeah, okay. Tell me a little bit more about that. It's right. like, I mean, yeah, it was a spill, but it wasn't that much. Oh, it sounds like it was a potential to actually, you know, run into their water, you know, and just like having a conversation just like with them, like you're getting more information as they're talking and they're telling you more as they're talking. And hopefully at the end of that, they're going to come to, a, oh, people are concerned just about drinking water as I'm drinking this water that's clean in front of me. Right. And so that's some of that perspective taken could be transformed in, in that moment just by them mostly doing the work and you're just kind of sitting there listening. Um, and so that, I think that could also help. And obviously Aaron and I just said, our goal is to not have you sit there and never say anything, but this could be a way to lead you there. And you kind of noticed with the example that I just gave, I gave, I put in, in I inserted a fact in there, like, oh, it, you know, there was a spill <laughs> and it came close to, the drinking water, whatever. So like you can say that you can definitely use facts by remaining um, in as like remaining a listener in that conversation. So, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And I think people are more likely to give information when, um, when they're, they're asked, like people like a lot of people like to hear themselves talk. Right. And so if we're coming from this perspective of um, or from the approach of tell me more about that, tell me more about that um, with the intention of maybe kind of helping to circum, I don't want to say circumvent, but almost like shape kind of some form of understanding um, mm -hmm. to, to do it in like this gentle way. People, people, when you meet like in the middle and it's this argument, I don't. I don't know if there's ever anything positive that can come from that. I don't know if I've ever seen two people come at, at each other with two opposing viewpoints and then come to some resolution. Mm. I don't know. I don't know. It's it, it, maybe I'm thinking a lot of stuff that I read on social media or online or something like that. And it's people are just like, I think this and I think this and I think this and it's just back and forth and there's no like it never comes to like this oh I can I can see your point you know like thank you for giving yeah. me that information that perspective I've seen it happen a couple times but when two people meet like with that same kind of level of intensity I don't know it's it's challenging that's why I liked where you were saying like ask tell me more about that mm -hmm. you know? it's yeah when you were talking, I was envisioning like a sledgehammer banging a sledgehammer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So how far can you get with that? Um, so yeah. Yeah. Um, another thing, like you were saying, uh, Standing Rock might come up, um, but also this might be a good time to talk about, you know, immigration as well, mm -hmm. which can also be another topic of conversation that, um, you know, can have polarized a few points as well too but um i think just reminding family members again not presenting your opinion on something but just reminding them of our own country's immigration history right yeah um, 
you know, presenting evidence based on that. Um, and we can swing back to the, <laughs> to the original, the real Thanksgiving story, you know, and, and um, talk about perspectives of, of how those people may feel about that, you know? For sure. I think the immigration conversation that people can have with their family would, I mean, for a lot of folks, um, and not necessarily, I'm not speaking to folks who um, are like myself, which, you know, I'm a African-American descendant of slavery. So, you know, when we talk about immigration, I'm not part of that conversation. Um, but a lot of people in this country are clearly a part of that conversation where they actually willfully came here and um, you, they wanted to come here for a better life. That's why the English settlers were trying to come here too. Like, you know, they wanted a different life for themselves. And so to be able to perspective take for the immigration issues and that we're having now mm-hmm. and use like your own family's history and what did they want when they immigrated here? I, I think there's so much, there's, I think there could be some beauty that comes um, with having a conversation about your own family's history with immigration and coming here and what that meant for whoever that person or those people were, whether they were your great, great, great grandmother or whatever, like what brought them here and being able to use that in the conversation. And that's taken factual, the first Im- immigrants, the first people that came over here, um, the first people that were already here, like just being able to look at that from that I and you perspective then and and now, right? There's a lot to be said about that. Definitely. I like mm-hmm. that. I like that a lot. Uh, we can also talk about self-care. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> For a lot of us, that's needed. My family's great. I don't, I don't want to put that out there. I love my family. We do. We, I've always been able to have conversations. Um, and have them in a way that's, you know, beautifully done, but we definitely don't agree on everything. But yeah, self-care is important for a lot of us. And I know that holidays are a huge thing that people are like, oh man, you know, do I want to go back home? Do I want to, you know, so this is for you. You're listening. (laughs) For sure. I think, I think it's okay to recognize, and you can talk about present moment awareness, you know, within this too, and just acknowledging what's showing up within yourself, you know, being able to pay attention when your blood pressure's rising, your heart rate's increasing. Um, uh, maybe you're not able to control your, um, your self-control is critical when we're ha- talking about having these types of conversations. And um, there's a point in time where we all lose it, you know, and, and, and so being able to acknowledge when that happens, being able to walk away, take a break, um, mm-hmm. You know, like I said, present moment awareness, grounding yourself, I think is really, um, really important. You had put in, yeah. in the show notes, uh, actually a cool thing as far as like present moment awareness, um, almost like a activity, I would say activity. That's not yeah. Like Maybe okay. Response. Um, yeah. yeah. For those who don't know, my background is uh, mental health and, um, Grounding is a technique that is very commonly used. And um, I guess in a behavior analytic way to say it is essentially you're tacting what's around you and it's bringing you back to the present environment. Um, a lot of folks do this um, who have anxiety, who have um, anxiety diagnoses, but um, grounding is actually useful as well, like to calm down and bring you back to what's in front of you, like I said. And so, you know, if, if you're literally just 
sitting there and you're like, lamp, table, cup, plate, fork, knife, spoon, like these, you're doing that. It's creating distance between what was um, initially troubling you. Um, And so for those that might find that useful, um, I would say, you know, don't just take my word on it for sure. Do a little, um, do a little digging on some grounding techniques, but those are very common. This, this grounding is a very common technique that people use and hopefully it could be beneficial for you as well. And like I said, it'll, it'll put a little bit of distance between that private thought that you are having, um, or maybe even some of those, um, emotions or intense feelings that were occurring for you. Have you, have you read of, of ones that also use um, additional senses? So like smell and hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just at the ACT boot camp and uh, in Fort Lauderdale and they did something like that with, um, with the, with all the participants. And I noticed that I do better tuning into sounds to, mm-hmm. to pull me into the present moment rather than like looking at things. When I started to look at things, it almost became like erratic in a way. But when I could close my eyes and listen to sounds, I could, it, it required so much focus yes. that I could then hear things that like even internal sounds, I started to hear my own heartbeat, which was so weird. Um, and so like tacting things, tacting like with all your senses too is so yeah. cool. So cool. seriously, try it out. <laughs> It really is. I, I do. I definitely love tacting with the senses. Um, yeah, listeners, you just got some real good information there. <laughs> uh, grounding. 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 Okay. And last but not least, I think, you know, if you're sitting at the dinner table and some heated conversations are happening, it's going to be important for you to know when to let it rest. Okay. Um, definitely speak up. We said that already, speak up when something's made you uncomfortable, but let it stop there when it needs to. Um, what you can do after you leave that dinner table, follow up. Follow up with that person that maybe, you know, expounded some really interesting tidbits that might not have been true. Send homework. Hey, there's this book. I would suggest um, lowering the response effort. So if you could find like a quick reading on a web page or like uh, you want to go ahead and read your peer-reviewed research and just copy and paste the paragraph, do that because a lot of people who are bound to what they're thinking, um, they're not going to read a 500-word, I'm not 500-word, a 500-page book about the topic at hand. And so I think Lauren, some of that response effort um, might be useful for you to do with your family members. So let rest and follow up is our suggestion to you. Definitely. Do you, so with some people I found that, um, I wouldn't say asking permission, but essentially that's what it is. But it's, it's when you follow up with that person, be like, Hey, look, like, um, I heard what you said. Can I send you some stuff? Mm -hmm. And almost putting yourself in, I don't want to say a submissive kind of space but they have the ability to say no i've never had anybody say no to me though Mm -hmm. yeah sure send it my way even if they don't read it it's still like sometimes people um will almost shut down if if you're they feel like you're forcing information on them depends on the Mm -hmm. person though um so Mm -hmm. i think it's knowing who you're talking to as well if, if you do um but but that can 
can be um, a good uh, opportunity. And it's, it's like almost a collaborative approach too. Um, you know, but that, that follow-up piece is really important. It's really important. Yeah. Put that in there. I think that was um, a really good tidbit to like know who you are sending this to <laughs> and, and know the approach that might be best for you to take um, with this person. And sometimes when all this fails, you definitely just ask, ask how they're feeling about continuing a conversation with you. Yeah. You may or may not get a response. Um, but yeah, I think that was good sound advice. Cool. Those are five, five good things. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Letting that sink in. So you ready to wrap this up? Wrap yeah. this show up? <laughs> Cool. Well, if you've been listening this entire time, we were able to talk about Thanksgiving, what that could look like for you, how to have conversations with your family members. Um, but hopefully you're prepared to get a little bit of homework from us <laughs> as you go into the holiday season. Um, I think the first piece of homework should definitely be what you talked about earlier, Aaron. Think about how you can approach this conversation with your family members or whoever you're spending um, Thanksgiving with. I think that would be the first thing, like, how do you take this information that you may or may not have learned today um, and then use that and actually apply that to Thanksgiving, which is, you know, when the show comes out is only two days away. So, you know, you have to get to it really quickly and figure out how you are going to or what changes that you're going to make for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Um, another thing that we had listed was to um, read um, Bury My Heart at, um, at Wounded Knee. Gosh, I can't mm -hmm. talk. Ooh, um, by D. Brown. And so that's a history of um, Native Americans in the West during the late 19th century. So don't just take what we're talking about here uh, and take that for fact. Like, go explore, learn, learn about the history of the of the country that you're living in. Um, the real history, uh, you know, that's, that's not, uh, censored in a, in a way or, um, you know, biased and, um, but go to the source. That's something we always really push here is to go to the source. Yeah. And this book definitely is a source. And if you look on like, you know, social justice reading list, this is going to be on it. It gives you a perspective of native Americans in this country and it's a firsthand perspective too. And, um, I definitely suggest reading that. Um, another thing for you to do is honor ancestors whose land you occupy. I said that earlier, but a way that you can, um, do that is figuring out whose land you're on. And I mean that like where you live, you're on someone's land that was someone's tribe at some point. Um, and so you can find that out if you are by downloading the app native land and it'll tell you. And so I think for Thanksgiving, what you could do is bring the, the Native Americans um, that were part of the tribe or are part of that tribe, bring them into your space um, and honor the ancestors. Yeah. I love that. There's a song and um, it's called Cluster Died for Your Sins. And I just suggest listening to it. Um, I listened to it. And it's it's telling. I wonder if we could have Alan send us out to class.
us to die for your sins. That'll be very cool. But um, if we can't, look it up on YouTube and um, and listen to the words that are there. I haven't heard that, but I'm going to do that. Yeah. Uh, another another thing that we had said was to forego Black Friday um, at large businesses. Um, I know we probably just made a couple people's like heart stop. Mm-hmm. Black Friday shopping. Any sales? Um, I know, right? Um, but more to focus on maybe shopping local, considering um, doing that. They actually, ha- I mean, Black Friday, you just forego that. They have a is it small business Saturday or something like that? Yes. And if it's mm-hmm. the following day. So maybe like focus in on that and look, because that's when, even if you're looking for sales and things of that nature, that's when your small businesses are going to be. Um, exactly. You're putting on those sales. Definitely. Yeah. And I always, so like, I do say this every year, like Virgo Black Friday and um, shop small. Um, and then I know when I say that, that, there's a part of the conversation that's being left outside. I do want to make sure to say it like, you know, Black Friday is a capitalist holiday for sure. And there are people who need Black Friday because if we all lived in, we all live in this America together and we know the importance of things, right? And so unfortunately for people who um, are making lower wages, right? This is your day. This is how to get your kids gifts for Christmas, another holiday. Um, And so- I recognize that there's privilege in even saying forego Black Friday. But if you know that you can forego Black Friday, honestly and truly, forego Black Friday and shop local. Um, and so, you know, I, I just make sure that I'm I'm never without putting that part in there. There are people who will not forego Black Friday because it's such a necessity, right? Um, and it sucks that that has to be, that people have to go stand in these long lines and, um have the uh, potential of being trampled or whatever, just so they can get, you know, make their five-year-old's day on Christmas morning. And, you know, but that's reality for people. So yeah, yeah so that's there. Um, yeah. So lastly, but not least, we really do hope as you go into Thanksgiving, you're having some of these tough conversations with your family members and your loved ones. And that's it. Thank you for joining us. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Very relevant. I hope everybody appreciates that. We'll have to push and make sure it's like, listen to this before Thanksgiving. Don't put this on your like download to listen to on the way to Thanksgiving. You know, like exactly now because preparation is going to need to happen. So absolutely. Let's continue this conversation online. Talk to us. Um, What do you plan to do? And to get you close to Thanksgiving with your family members, share your thoughts on the episode, anything we said, anything that you want to add to inform our listeners and the people who follow us online. I'd love to hear some committed actions. That'd be great. Yes. So if you're not following us, follow us at Beautiful Humans Change on Instagram and Beautiful Humans, the social change cast. Oh, sorry. Beautiful Humans cast on Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) all right y'all thank you for committing to being beautiful humans with us tune in next time for the next show
It's Denisha and Aaron. I just wanted to take the time here to let you know that if you're thinking about doing a podcast, there's a way for you to do a show without having to become an audio editing and production wizard. Yeah, you know, uh, we probably would have never gotten the show off the ground if it wasn't for a pretty easy podcast. So pretty easy podcast helps podcasters get their shows recorded and posted with a complete podcast studio at your disposal. Record from your home or your office or at the park. Pretty Easy Podcast caters to your schedule and gives you a producer for your show at your beck and call. So if you have an idea for a show and you need someone to rely on to help you get it done, go to prettyeasypodcast.com and sign up today. Be heard and have some fun podcasting. You know you want to do it, so go to prettyeasypodcast.com today.
the abilities and those kinds of things, I feel much more ready to like and um, much more educated to have those conversations and help advocate for those people to the best of my abilities. I think it's a lot easier for people um, to understand people when they know an individual that's in a certain population or minority or has a certain diagnosis. It helps them to understand even more. And I know for me, just even lately and just even from the start of this podcast, you know, I'm just really learning, you know, um, why people say what they say and your learning history and your environment. And if you don't have access to people that don't look like you or have different values as, as you, it's so easy to just kind of think one way. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm grateful for this podcast because it's just opened my mind to just mind <laughs> so much. Yeah. Um, and as we get ready to get out of here, I just want to say that you both just reminded me of a conversation I was actually having yesterday. But Kiyomi, you're kind of bringing up like a little bit of what um, I was saying to my friend is there are different ways that we can learn, right? And being in proximity to folks that are part of these, um, you know, whatever groups they might be could definitely help us. But then there are other ways that we learn, which could be by listening, um, by reading, by seeking out. And so if that value is there, then we might shift our behavior to without even being around this, you know, individual group of people. And, and we might be able to extend empathy without even meeting folks. And so I think that's the, the, the behavior part of it. And just remembering that, you know, we can, um, we can change and beautiful humans do change (laughs) tagline. Um, so yeah, Erin, do you want to give our listeners a little bit of homework for this week? You know, it's interesting. We made some notes about um, homework. However, I feel like we we have tons of homework, like especially like within the workplace. But one thing that we always like to talk about is, um, and it's the whole reason we had this. Well, one of the reasons is to hear voices. Um, like from the people that 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 are living these experiences um, and to to go to the people and go to the source. And so um, I think one thing we always try to do is connect to people that are doing the work um, of the people on our show, whether um, they're people that are in your community, whether they're people that you're working with um, and have conversations with them for those who are comfortable. you know, kind of don't obviously don't ask somebody to share their experience that that's not comfortable doing so, but, um, but, and just listen, you know, without judgment, I think is, is one of the best things that you can do. So, um, you know, we always say like committed action. So if you can find like one person to talk to, um, that, I mean, that would be great. And then to connect with, um, on like social media channels, there are lots of advocacy organizations out there. Um, we found a bunch, even just ser- searching neurodiversity uh, or neurodiverse on Instagram, brought up a couple um, big kind of, uh, uh, I don't know if you all have any that you want to share or if you all, I don't know if you all share your social media uh, channels or anything like that, but um, but do you all have anybody that you share that you would uh, recommend people following? In terms of like this kind of movement, um, I know one deaf uh, 
blogger, vlogger, uh, Ricky, R-I-K-K-I, pointer, P-O-Y-N-T-E-R. I'm terrible at spelling. I hope that's how it's spelled. Um, But she um, is really working hard for um, deaf accessibility and captioning, appropriate captioning on um, um, internet and those kinds of things. Um, And that kind of has been really great for me to just kind of see the front of the movement and these kinds of people that are actively and kind of the things socially immediately throughout the day. Um, I know uh, Niall DeMarco also does a pretty good job of being on top of um, deaf and hard of hearing very pop, more pop culture movements. Um, so those are two um, very much at the forefront deaf bloggers and, Niall is more of a celebrity, but people that are kind of having the conversations about accessibility. That's awesome. We had a couple that we follow on our podcast channel. Denisha, do you know um, Neurodivergent Rebel is one of them? Yep. Uh, Also Neurodivergent Activist is another one that we follow on our channel. Yeah. Yeah. There are a few other ones um, that we do follow. The one I, I definitely have been like tuning in more into has definitely been Neurodivergent Rebel. Mm-hmm. Um, just to, you know, get um, her experiences as well um, in the field. Um, actually, she's not in the field, but she actually has spoken to folks that are in our field. So just hearing those, uh, her viewpoints has been helpful for me as well. I would say if anyone is listening, I don't know if our guest, if you all want to share how people can get in, maybe follow you or get in touch with you. You definitely don't have to give out your social media channels or anything like that. But if you feel comfortable, you can do so. Um, We've had, you know, guests in the past that, you know, chose not to. And that's totally fine. But floor is open just in case you want to leave. Your Better we just have them put it in the show notes too if they want to. So. Oh, the show notes, yes. Or my phone number is no. though. <laughs> <laughs> I am open to friends. I am open to friends. So um, for me, um, I'm, I have uh, Facebook, I have Instagram. Um, Instagram for me, it's um, Kiyomi365. So that's K I. Y-O-M-I-365, um, Instagram. And then, yeah, that's probably the best way to kind of reach me and communicate with me when I'm not studying or listening to podcasts or being a parent. <laughs> All right. Uh, Cody or Dana, if not, we can put them in the show notes. Um, I have to contemplate on if I'm going to jump into this activism role. Because um, right now my social media is pretty private and personal uh, so i'm not going to share it at the moment just because i i don't need that much information out in the world uh but i'll, I'll i have to contemplate because this is the second panel i've done and so it's becoming a trend so i should look into making a different social media account <laughs> different yeah so i have a uh, facebook and messenger i'm not so much on twitter or all the other social media platforms i I'm also on LinkedIn. So find me on those. All right. Well, that concludes this week's show. We want to thank our listeners for tuning in to another episode of Beautiful Humans, the Social Change Cast. 
And thank you all for committing to being beautiful humans with us. Tune in for the next show. And what a cute little baby. Thank you all for listening. It's Denisha and Aaron. I just wanted to take the time here to let you know that if you're thinking about doing a podcast, there's a way for you to do a show without having to become an audio editing and production wizard. Yeah, you know, uh, we probably would have never gotten the show off the ground if it wasn't for a pretty easy podcast. So pretty easy podcast helps podcasters get their shows recorded and posted with a complete podcast studio at your disposal. Record from your home or your office or at the park. Pretty Easy Podcast caters to your schedule and gives you a producer for your show at your beck and call. So if you have an idea for a show and you need someone to rely on to help you get it done, go to prettyeasypodcast.com and sign up today. Be heard and have some fun podcasting. You know you want to do it, so go to prettyeasypodcast.com today. Mm-hmm.